gratitude. As you're turning there, uh, I'll add my welcome and greeting. We've got a number of guests that are with us here this morning, and we don't usually uh, have people stand up and you know embarrass them, that sort of thing, so we won't do that. But anyway, if you're a guest with us this morning, we're really glad that you're here. Welcome. Hope you've been made to feel at home, um, even in the middle of uh, what remains to be kind of some of our strange coronavirus practices. So we're glad you're here this morning. Acts chapter 2, and I'm going to read starting in verse 41 a passage that we have been looking at here a number of times uh, in the life of our church. Acts chapter 2, verse 41 says, So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and all came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Father, as we continue this short series on Acts 29... I pray that you would help us to see from your word how we as a church family are to interact with each other. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I recently read a biography about uh, Theodore Roosevelt, one of our American presidents. Super cool guy. He was a hunter, most importantly. Um, He was also a president and some other stuff uh, that was much less important. But uh, he was... (laughs) Um, he was a really interesting character, and in fact, the biography that I read on his life was prior to, it covered a portion of his life before he even became president. Um, uh, but anyway, even as president, one of the things that was interesting about uh, Theodore's life is that he would, he would often go on long walks for his exercise, for his mental clarity, but he would very, very often go on long walks with other people. He would invite his cabinet, he would invite his advisors, he would invite friends, he would invite different people he knew he would want to have discussion with, and he would invite them to go on walks. Now, this is a day where the life of the president at the White House and the, the, uh, you know, the, the, the security measures that were in place then were in- incredibly different than they are now. And so he would meet some of his advisors there in the White House, and he would say, let's go for a walk, and they would literally just leave the office and take off through the hills and the woods surrounding the White House. And they would go on these long, often multiple, multiple mile, 10, 15 mile walks uh, over little mountains and across creeks and rivers and that sort of thing. And they would walk and they would talk and they were, they were kind of doing life together. They were, they were thinking through hard things and they were, they were doing, they were preparing for what was to come together. And that the idea of going for a walk, he didn't say, hey, guys, come for a walk. And then they all just, just walked in silence with each other. The point of the walk was to have life together, to have conversation together, to think together. The, the analogy of walking is used throughout the Bible not to illustrate the idea of putting one foot in front of the other, right? Ephesians chapter 4 talks about walking worthily, and it's actually addressing the church, how we as a church are to walk together 
in, in unity, to walk worthily. And the idea of walking together, again, isn't I put my right foot and then my left foot and then my right foot, but the idea of walking together is this idea of going somewhere together, of doing life together, of living together with each other. And I, I, I drew on the, the whiteboard last uh, two weeks ago when we started this series called We Are Acts 29. Let me erase my notes from Sunday school. Um, I drew a little graphic up here to kind of explain the, the three-part series that we're covering um, on Sunday mornings. And the, the first week, um, we, we talked about, we're talking about what the church does. And, and I, I drew a little, some little figures down here to indicate humanity, right? These are, those are people, believe it or not, those are people, okay? And then here are people within the church, and up here it represents God, the triune God. That's why we often represent God with a triangle, um, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And the first week we talked about one of the things that the church, let me put a, a steeple of some sort here on the, on the church. One of the things that the church does is it worships God. And so there is a, there's a, a, yeah, vertical, a vertical dimension to what the church does. There's an upward look that the church is supposed to have, and we, we look up to worship God. This week we are talking, so that was worship, and we talked about that. Two weeks ago. This week, we're talking about the church's walk. And this is the relationship that we have. Sorry, I'm, I'm terrible. I'm a terrible artist. That's a, that's a, those are arrows pointing to each other within the local church. So, so how do Christians, what are we supposed to do with each other? Look, just take a second and look around the room for a second. I know this kind of makes it awkward, but you see, you see a bunch of, you, there's a bunch of other people in this room this morning. Did you know that? You're, you're not the only one in here, and I'm not the only one in here. And the point isn't just for you to listen to me once a week. Thank heavens, aren't you glad that that's not the point of what we're doing here? Um, there's some value in that, I sure hope. That's not the only reason we've gathered here this morning. Otherwise, what's going on with our brothers and sisters that are watching on Facebook right now Courtney, does it, look, does it feel like I'm looking at you even though I'm looking at the camera? It does. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at the camera. Um, our people that are watching, otherwise, this would be a perfectly acceptable way. You could all stay at home and just watch me, and I would, I would pre-record some kind of a talk once a week, and you would be good to go. But that's not what's going on here. We all took some time, maybe took a shower, maybe, got dressed, came together here, this morning, we're doing something together here, and the Bible, one of the ways that the Bible would describe this or define this would be with the idea of walking together. I'm done with the whiteboard. Yeah, Levi, you can put the camera back on me now. Here's the point I want us to make this morning. As we walk together, we're going to look through Acts chapter 2, uh, 41 and following. Brothers and sisters, you must be devoted to walking with other Christians in order to become more like Christ. Do you want to be more like Jesus? Well, whether you want to or not, God wants you to be. God wants you to become more like His Son, Jesus Christ. And one of the ways that He has purposed for that to happen, one of the means by which He's going to see that that happens, is through your walking together with other Christians. Point number one, and we're going to, we're going to use Acts chapter 2 and these verses here, though these principles are taught throughout the New Testament. We're going, to use, we're going to just kind of focus in here on this passage here this morning. Point number one, 
we are converted to walk with one another. And I'm using the word converted there, but we could use the word saved or we could use the word born again. We're redeemed. Lots of different words that we could use to describe how we've come into relationship with God. The Bible tells us that we're all sinners. And because of our sin, there's a punishment that God brings against that sin. And that punishment is eternal separation from God forever in hell. That's a problem. But the Bible also says that God sent his son Jesus Christ to live and die and be raised so that if we'll turn from our sin and trust in Jesus Christ as our Savior, we can be born again. We can be made alive in Christ. We can be redeemed. We can be saved, converted. All of these words are words that the Bible uses to describe what happens to us when we turn from sin and trust in Jesus. But as we read through the Bible, it actually becomes incredibly clear that when God saves you, He's not only doing something in your life as an individual, completely isolated from the rest of the world. See, God is actually assembling a bride. He's assembling, there's a lot of different illustrations that we could potentially use for this. He's assembling a team. He's assembling a family. He's assembling sons and daughters, right? He, it's not just that he needed Mark, and so he saved Mark, and now that he's done with Mark, he's going to go save someone else. He's, a, he's bringing together an assembly. The New Testament word for assembly is ecclesia. Have you ever heard the word ecclesia before? Yeah, Kelly, you heard that before? Yeah, we were talking about ecclesia before church. It's the word we use, the word we say church. That's the word that we use, church. God is assembling a church. He's bringing, and so when he, God saves someone, he's bringing them into a broader family, right? And when we think about assembling a team, whether it's a football team or a basketball team, there might be one really good individual, right? And you might have the, the NBA's MVP for that year. But without the rest of the team, it's doubtful that that one player could beat the rest of the teams. No, you need a team. And what God is doing is he's building a family. He's building a team. And there are several passages of Scripture. Let me mention two in particular that, are very, that give us an illustration of the, the family that God's building. One illustration that God uses in the New Testament, we're just going to focus on this one illustration, is the, the illustration of a body. Everybody in here have a body, like an f- actual physical body? Yeah. Raise your hand if you have a body. Yes, the fact that you raised your hand made it abundantly clear to me that you have a body. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12, for just as the body is one, anybody have more than one body in here? We need to get you working with a psychologist if you have more than one body in here. All the members of the body, though, though many are one body, so it is with Christ, down to verse 14. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many, verse 25, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And we, we know the reality of this with our physical bodies, right? If I break my leg, the rest of my body suffers. If I break my leg, my hand has to lean on a cane and my body can't go downhill skiing like I was planning on. Like 
There's, there's just a lot, like when one member of the body suffers, the whole body suffers. And Jesus is saying the, the New Testament church that I'm assembling is made up of a lot of different body parts. And, and when you come together under the head who is Christ, you are strengthened by being together. And when one body part hurts, you're, you're, uh, you're, hurt, you're hurt together. Romans 12, verses 4 and 5 make this same point. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. You've probably interacted with someone before, and they tell you about you know, the fact that they're a Christian, and maybe you're having some kind of, often, just because of the very nature that I'm a pastor, and I pastor a local church, part of that conversation for me often includes the question, oh, interesting, where do you go to church? And as you can imagine, there's, there's lots of times where I hear, oh, I, I, don't, really, I don't really go, I don't really go anywhere. I don't, I don't, I'm not part of a church. And um, I, I'm not saying that that person is not a true and genuine Christian, but they at least don't understand what God has saved them into. God has saved us into the body of Christ. One, one, uh, one author writes this about, about being saved into a group of people. Because here's the truth, right? Again, I won't make you look around again because that's awkward. But if you looked around again, you, would, you might realize and think to yourself, you know, if it wasn't for this church, there's a lot of these people that I wouldn't know. There's a lot of these people that I would never interact with. There's just too many things that are keeping us There are too many things that are different about us. One author says, I didn't choose these people for my sisters and brothers. God did. If I'm to be God's child, I must accept these others as my siblings, co-heirs in Christ. And then he goes on to say, and this is important, a local church is not free to develop its identity simply with racial or ethnic or social or generational or consumer affinities. Do you understand what he's saying there? He's saying, I'm, I don't get to make the decision that I want a church that's made up of a bunch of middle-aged, white, middle-class hunters. I think I fit the bill on all of those descriptors, right? I, I, don't, I don't get to, to decide I want an assembly that's comfortable for me or that looks like me. Here's what we have to accept. If God's the one who makes me his child and God's the one who makes Diadne his child, then you know what that means for me and Diadne? We're brothers in an eternal sense. Now, we look a lot alike because of our muscles, mostly because of our muscles. I wish, I wish, keep dreaming, right? There's something that God's doing. uh, This isn't in my notes. Um, There's something that, that God's doing that's eternal by bringing 
every tongue and tribe and kindred and nation together into unity. He's taking very disunified people, very um, dis, uh, um, ununiform people, and bringing them together to bring him glory. So I love the fact that there's some diversity in our local church. I wish there was more diversity in our local church because I think that puts on display what God's doing. This is how God set it up. So, so being converted, being saved, being born again, God is actually bringing us into a group of people. Look in um, verse 41. Paul, or excuse me, Peter is preaching to the masses here on the day of Pentecost, and he's telling them in verse 38, repent, be baptized, receive the Holy Spirit. And it says in verse 41, those who received his word, those who listened to the message of Peter and were convicted by it, by the Holy Spirit, those who believed that sermon, they were baptized and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. You want to talk about awesome church growth? 3,000 people one Sunday baptizing 3,000 people, you know, and, and, you know, you get to report to all your pastor buddies, hey, man, my church grew by 3,000 people on, on one Sunday. They devoted themselves to the, these following things. So, so God is, when God saves people, he's saving them to the church. This is, this is the, just the very beginnings of the local church beginning and, and, and taking off. And we see that throughout the New Testament, the local church is the New Testament people of God. The letters that Paul is writing, he's often writing to the church in the town of Rome. What do we call that book? Romans. He's writing a letter to the church gathered at the city of Ephesus. What do we call that book? Yeah, he's writing to the church who's gathered in a little town called Thessalonica. What do we call that one? Thessalonians, right, yeah. So he's writing these books to churches, assuming that when someone comes to faith in Christ, they are going to automatically become part of the body of Christ. First of all, we are converted for the purpose of walking with each other. God calls us into walking with each other. We're born into a spiritual family. I was born October 5th, 1977, in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, into the McMorris family. I had no say whatsoever in that decision. I am eternally thankful that God allowed me to be born into the family that I was born into. But when I was born, I, I, um, I wasn't surveyed several years later saying, would you like to be part of this family? Would you, you know, which family would you like to be a part of? I would have had to stop and think about that one for a few minutes, I think, like some of you <laughs> would voluntarily, um, maybe have chosen a different family. That's not, how, that's not how it works when you're born into a family. It's not how it works when you're born into the family of God. You're born into the people of God. We could spend more time even supporting that theologically, but that, that's the truth of what happens to us. When we're born again, we're born into the family of God. Secondly, we, need, we must be devoted to walking with one another. So, so not only is this something that God does objectively, whether you like it or not, it needs to be something that we also um, personally say, yep, I'm in. I'm, I, I realize church isn't perfect. 
I'm not perfect, but I'm, I'm into this thing. Because in verse 42, it describes those early believers as people who devoted themselves to it. And I know I made a big deal out of the phrase devoted themselves last time uh, in the first uh, sermon in this series. But I'm going to make a big deal out of it again. They devoted themselves to living life together. We're going to see the descriptions of that here more clearly under, under the next point. But they, there, was, there was a commitment. There was an understanding of sacrificing for this thing. And many of us have devoted ourselves or committed ourselves to different purposes and organizations. And you, know, you think about someone who joins the military. And when someone joins the military, and we've got veterans in here, and I'm thankful, thank you for your service. But when, when someone um, uh, devotes themselves or commits themselves to something like that, there's an awareness that I'm, I'm giving uh, time and energy, blood, sweat, and tears to this thing, and potentially even my own life. And until our individualistic and consumeristic mindset is reset by the Word of God, we won't understand what the church is. See, we, we, know, we know, I hope we know this about ourselves. We live in a very individualistic culture. We live in a very, um, really self-centered kind of world. I've talked with many of my brothers and sisters in this room who come from different cultural backgrounds. Maybe they come from other countries or they come from other cultural backgrounds. And I'll hear them explain to me how important family is and how even while they're here and making good money here, they're sending enormous amounts of money to family back home and wherever country or wherever culture they're from, they're, they're being very supportive of those. Or th- the idea that what, what my dad's opinion of my life is matters incredibly. I can't bring dishonor to the name of my family, right? Some of you, maybe your families are culturally that way, but we know that there are other uh, times in history and other places even on the planet today where... Um, people are far more concerned about the group or about the family than they are about themselves individually, whereas we tend to be very much focused upon ourselves as individuals. What these early Christians culturally would have understood is the, the significance of the group. And it's actually helpful for us to understand how they would have thought about it and for us to start bending our understanding into a more biblically faithful understanding of what it means to be committed to the group. It does require sacrifice. Anyone, anything that we love, we sacrifice for. Any person or anything that we love, we sacrifice for. If there's someone that we love, we will give them our time, we'll give them our treasure, we'll give them our talents. If there's a thing that we love, same thing, we'll give it our time and our treasure and our talents. God is calling upon us to love and commit to the local church. And I believe that when God truly changes you, you become devoted to the family of God. The commitment is to a real and actual group of people that is made manifest in an actual local church. You may talk with some Christians and they say, oh yeah, I'm committed to the church, the universal church, the church to other Christians. But they'll never darken the door of a local church. They'll never um, get out their wallet or give their time for real people in a real church. There's a, there's, a, there's a bad notion out there that the more you mature, 
the less you need the church. That, that the church is almost like your parents are for you when you're a child. And as a kid, you need your parents, right? They start by literally keeping you alive in every way. If they don't give you food, you don't get food, right? We've got little ones all you know, dotted around the room here this morning. Um, if they don't change your diaper, you don't get changed. I mean, if, if they don't move you from point A to point B, you don't get moved. But then as you get older... Your parents do less and less for you, right? They teach you to tie your shoes, and now you tie your shoes. And they teach you how to, whatever, get a job, and you get a job. And they teach you how to move out, and you move out. Note to McMorris kids, you are moving out. Not today, but at some point in the not-too-distant future. And we look at church, and we kind of think, well, you know, the, the more spiritual I get personally, the less I need the training wheels of church. I mean, I'm not being proud, but when I look around the room, I can tell that I'm more spiritual than most of the people in there. <laughs> there might be a handful of who are tempted to think some such thought, right? And you think, you know, I, they probably need me more than I need them. Maybe then I'll, maybe I'll stick around for that. No, Miss Karen, you are right. No, that is not that is not the case. Listen, one um, this is interesting. Uh, this study was done a number of years ago. I think about fifteen years ago or so at a very prominent um, uh, church. If I named the name, you'd know it. And the people there were finding themselves dissatisfied and disconnecting from the church. And this is a multi multi thousand member church, and people that had been there for a while were finding themselves kind of disconnected and, and just in general dissatisfied with the church. And as they did some studies, they, they wanted to know what, what is the disconnect. And here's the answer, the quick answer. Some of them said, because God wired us first and foremost to be in growing relationship with Him, not the church. So their conclusion is, God meant for His people to move from dependence on the ministry of the church to personal spiritual practices. Prayer, solitude, studying the scripture on their own individual way. As believers mature, this is what they said, as believers mature, they should shift their interest from the church to their own personal activities. The research strongly suggests that the church declines in influence as people grow spiritually. Those who are fully surrendered are likened to young adults who no longer need the parenting of the church and can fend for themselves. People need to learn to feed themselves through personal spiritual practices that allow them to deepen their relationship with Christ. And we want to, this, again, this is their answer, we want to transition the role of the church from spiritual parent to spiritual coach. Well, that might make sense according to worldly thinking, but that is not the example that we're given in Scripture. In fact, it's not even the right illustration to use. Remember, we're a bride. And so the closer, the, it, would, it would be like saying, the longer I'm married to Angie, the less I need to be around her, the less I really care what she thinks. And No, like the longer we're together, the more I want to be together, the more I want to know her. And so as the bride of Christ, brothers and sisters, the longer, the, the longer you know Christ, the more closely knit you are to its bride as you seek to know the bridegroom. So point number two there, we must be devoted to walking with one another. To walking with one another. <coughs> Here we are within the church. And like it or not, 
you're in here with who you are in here with. And we're, we're living life together. We're walking together. Not just putting right foot in front of left foot, but doing life together. Life touching life, member on member, eyeball to eyeball. This is one of the reasons that um, uh, virtual church will never replace or be what the gathered church is. And I'm thankful that we are able to offer, you know, for those who can't come and be with us this morning, I'm thankful that we're able to offer, um, uh, you know, the, the way for them to live stream. But I would, I would also quickly say this, and, you know, and I'm preaching to the choir because you're here. Um, but, you know, this should never replace for anyone involvement, active involvement in a local church just watching uh, uh, something online, okay? Number three, we must know how to, walk to get, how to walk together. So I'm devoted to walking with you, but what do we do? Is this enough? Is it enough to come together on Sunday mornings and hang out for an hour, hour and a half? Hour and a half, okay, I'll be honest, hour and a half. To hang out together for an hour and a half, and like, I, use, I, I say this all the time because I think it helps make the point. For all of you to sit in comfortable theater seats facing one person, do the religious show, and then you all to leave at the end of the religious show time. Is that walking together? N- no. I mean, it's just one tiny little part of opportunity for us to walk together. Around 150 AD, a church historian wrote this, okay? 150 years after Christ has come and done his work, on the earth, Justin Martyr says, On the day called Sunday, all believers gathered together in one place. Kind of sounds like what we're doing. And the memoirs of the apostles or the writings of the prophets are read. Kind of sounds like what we've done here this morning. As long as time permits. Now, We could get carried away with that. Then when the reader has finished, the president of the assembly, in a speech, admonishes and invites all to imitate such examples of virtue. What he's saying is one guy full of hot air stands up in front of everybody else and tells them what to do. Sounds familiar. Then we all rise together and pray. We've done that, haven't we? And when our prayer is ended, bread and wine and water are brought. And the president likewise offers up prayers and thanksgivings to the best of his ability. The Lord's Supper, praying together. And the people express their approval by saying, Amen. Then they take a collection for the needs of the orphans and widows. The pastor takes care of all those in need. Sunday is the day on which we all hold our common assembly because it's the first day on which God, having transformed the darkness and matter, created the world. And Jesus Christ, our Savior, on that same day rose from the dead. Now, this isn't a passage of Scripture. This is an early church historian describing what a Sunday walk together might look like. And he's describing people gathering together, doing the same things that we've done together this morning. In Acts chapter 2, what does it say? Verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayers. These are the things that 
Justin Martyr is talking about here in his history. These are the things that Paul is write, or Luke is writing about the early church did there um, in, in those first centuries following Christ's life. And brothers and sisters, this is what we're doing together here this morning. The, the, the Bible goes on to describe for us a list of other things that we do together with one another. And I think sometimes we think that when it comes to choosing a church, we need to choose a church based on musical style or children's ministries or the coolness of the pastor or the length of the sermon or the size of the congregation. Often I'll hear people say, I like coming to Liberty. I like small churches. And I think if, you, if everyone who likes small churches comes, then we're going to be a big church. Like, Don't make the size of a church the reason. There's a lot of, there's a lot of non-biblical reasons, honestly, a lot of bad reasons that people use as primary reasons to join a church. We need the normal, everyday, biblically specified ministries of the church that we see here in Acts chapter 2 and what we read here in Justin Martyr. But then as we're walking together, so you're going to leave here in a few moments, and you're going to have opportunity to continue walking together all week. What are ways that God has commanded us to walk together? If the only, thing you, if the only part of your Christian life is a Sunday morning worship service, you are disobeying. Yeah. You're disobeying many portions of Scripture. I think I've got a list. Jay, do we have the list for the screen? Yeah, I, want, I, I said put them all on one screen, even if they're small. We are to wash the feet of one another. We're to love one another. And I have Bible verses for each of these. I, I won't take time to read all the references. If you want them, I'll give them to you later. We're to live as members of one another. We're to outdo showing honor to one another. We're to live in harmony with one another. We're not to pass judgment on one another. We're to welcome one another and instruct one another and greet one another and care for one another and comfort one another and agree with one another and lovingly serve one another and not provoke one another to wrath. And I'm going to keep reading because I want to make the point. We don't envy one another and we bear burdens of one another and we lovingly bear with one another and we're to be kind to one another and forgive one another and address songs to one another and submit to one another and not lie to one another. We're to teach and admonish one another and encourage one another and do good to one another and daily exhort one another and stir up one another and not speak evil against one another or grumble against one another. We're to confess our sins for one, to one another and to pray for one another and to show hospitality to one another. And we're to be humble toward one another. And this is a list of things, brothers and sisters, that God has commanded you to do. If you've been converted into this family, if you've been saved into this family, if you've been converted and called by God to walk together, then you're to devote yourselves to doing these things together because God would look you in the eyes and say, you must do these things with one another. Now, it doesn't mean that every single week you have to do all of these things and you get to Saturday evening and you're like, oh man, I haven't washed anyone's feet this week. And I better hurry up and wash somebody's feet this week. This, this is not some legalistic list. Brothers and sisters, this is the Christian's life with other Christians is lived this way. If you read through this list and go, most of that's foreign to me, and not only is it foreign to me, I don't want to do that stuff. At that point, we would have to say, friend, do you know Christ? Because Jesus changes you to want what he wants. 
who can do this? Raise your hand if you can do this perfectly, this list of things. Raise your hand if you can do it perfectly. Who has done it perfectly? Yeah, other than confessing your sin. Yeah. Number four, we need to know where we're going as we walk together. Where are we going? Very few people take off on a walk with absolutely no idea where they're going. You might think, oh, I do that all the time. Okay, but if you do that, you're doing it at least for the purpose of, like, you know why you're doing it. I'm doing it to relax. I'm doing it for exercise, whatever. But very few people, like, just take off out their front door and think, I I really have no earthly idea where I'm going to end up or when I'll be back. We walk, we walk, we know where we're going, we know why we're going there. God has called us to walk together as a church. And, and we need to know where we're going as we walk together. God's goal for us, God's desire, God's purpose for us walking together is so that we will help each other become more and more like Jesus Christ. We read about it in the one another's. Stir one another up to love and good works. Um, uh, to um, exhort one another and stir one another up so that, so that each would become more and more like Jesus. And look, that's actually what's even happening here in the book of Acts. As these people are, have devoted themselves to living and walking with one another in this way, verse 47 says, the Lord added to their number every day. He kept adding those who were being saved. And the point is this, as the watching world, we're going to talk about this, this is going to be the main point next week, as those who are outside the church are watching people inside the church live this way, they say to themselves, those people shouldn't be getting along. That's weird. Like, why, why are they serving one another in this way? I want what they've got. I want, I want to know more about what's going on in there. I've said this many times, right? The idea, uh, the, the fellowship of the local church with all the different weird people in it, um, the saying is, birds of a feather flock together, but no one notices birds of a feather flocking together. It's when birds of different feathers flock together, that's when people take notice, right? I'm going to use the illustration again because I love it. Imagine looking out the windows here and seeing in the grass over there by the parking lot, you know, a handful of geese. Not a big deal. But interspersed with the geese are a bunch of eagles, and then next to the eagles, there's some robins, and then mixed in through there, there's a couple of ostriches and then some penguins, right? And then, uh, like, you would look out the window and you would think, something's going on out there. Like, that's weird. That's not the way it's... Like, any, obviously, to look out the window and see penguins would be weird. It would be cool, but it would be weird. It would be weirder to see them with all of those other... Birds of different feathers don't flock together. That's not normal. Look around. Birds of different feathers are flocking together because of what Jesus Christ has done in individuals. He's done this in individuals, and now we collectively behave in a way that is a witness to the world. We help each other become more and more like Jesus Christ, and the world watches. That's where we're going. We're going to making each other more like Jesus and telling the world who our Savior is. Now, in conclusion, you might have some good points. You might say, yes, but church people are annoying. And all God's people said, amen. I have been in church nine months before I was born. So since then, I've been in church. I've never not been in church. Church people are weird. Church people are mean. The meanest people I know are church people. Church people will hurt you. Church people will disappoint you. It's not any different on the outside. You might have a good point. 
Church people are annoying. Church, uh, you, you might say, but I can't find a perfect church. I can't find one good enough. You're not going to. Right? Some of us have been in enough churches now where we know that's not my expectation anymore, Jeremy. Good for you. You won't find it here either. Yes, but I don't want people to see how messed up I am. Now, I think that might be getting to the heart of other people who, when they understand what's included in walking together, that's too vulnerable. I don't want you to see what's on the inside of me. I'll come, I'll keep you at arm's length, but I'm not letting you get any closer. Or you just think, I don't want to. I just, I, I, don't, want, I, I don't want to commit myself to this thing. You might think, but walking through life with other Christians is hard. It'll cost me. It'll cost me blood, sweat, and tears. Other people are annoying. The church isn't perfect. You are messed up. Walking through life with Christians is hard, and it will cost you blood, sweat, and tears. All of those things are true. So here's what you have to do. Here's, here's our application for this morning. There's something you need to think, and there's something you need to do. To think. You need to meditate on the goodness of God through Christ for you. You need to remember the gospel. Remember all the, all the reasons why church is annoying and imperfect and you're messed up and it's hard to walk through life with people. It'll cost you blood, sweat, and tears. Remember, Jesus lived a life with annoying people. He knew there was no perfect church. He knew how messed up people were. In fact, there was part of his ministry here that he didn't even want to do. Remember that last night in the garden where he says, Father, not my will. If there's any way, let this cup pass for me, yet not my will, but thine be done. Living with other people might cost you blood, sweat, and tears. Living for other people literally cost our Savior blood, sweat, and tears. Meditate on that, brothers and sisters. Remember what Christ has done to save you and what Christ has saved you to. You can shed blood, sweat, and tears for your brothers and sisters here on earth because God in Christ has shed blood, sweat, and tears for you. Acts 20, verse 28, Paul is preaching to the elders and he says that we are to care for the church of God, the church of God which God obtained with his own blood. This group of ragtag, rowdy, annoying, weird, different people, I'm talking about literally Liberty Baptist Church, is priceless. People's church down the road, priceless. Primera, Iglesia Bautista, priceless. There's no price that can be placed on the local churches, the outposts of God's people in this community. It has been purchased with the blood of Jesus Christ. So, brothers and sisters, meditate on the goodness of God to you in Christ. That's what you need to think on. That's what you need to meditate on. And then do. What are you supposed to do? Devote yourself to walking through life with other Christians in the context of a local church. Father, I pray that you would help us to be this way, to, do, to be the church, to walk in the church, to walk with your people. 
Father, I pray that by your Spirit you would give us strength and grace to do this and to live this way. Father, if there's anyone here this morning who doesn't know your Son, I pray that you would save them into the church to walk with the church. And Father, for those who are here this morning who are not walking the way that they ought to walk, Father, I pray that you would convict them of sin and bring them into repentance. With your head still bowed and eyes closed for just a moment, Jay, can you put on the screen the one another's? I'm going to ask the music team to come and to get in place, and we're going to close with a song, but I'm going to give you, I'm going to ask Paula to go ahead and start playing, if she would, whatever the the tune to that last song is. I'm going to give you just a moment there in your seats. If you want to look up on the board, or up on the screen, and see the, the commands of God for us to walk with one another, and as you look at that list, if you think, God, I've just been disobeying. Maybe, maybe you need to, to pray and ask the Lord to forgive you. As you think about what God has done to make you part of the church, maybe you need to just say, God, thank you. Thank you for shedding your blood, sweat, and tears to bring me into the family of God. So, Paula, why don't you just play through one verse of whatever. What's the final song? Okay. Just, just uh, play through that one time, and then uh, you can pray quietly there if you want to look on the screen. And then after Paula has played through it once, then Josh, why don't you lead us? Uh, and singing that song together.